Hi, welcome to Funny Minds. My, I'm your host, Lindy, and and today we have on Robin Bartlett. And before I say anything or go anywhere, thank you for your service, Robin. Um, and I, it's the anniversary, fifty years of um, the last. What was it? The last P POW that came back from Vietnam. Is that what they're celebrating? Is that exactly the way they're celebrating it? Uh, March 29th is the National Vietnam Veterans Day, and that was the last day 50 years ago when the last troops left uh, Vietnam and the last flight of POWs uh, flew out of Hanoi on the same day, 29th. And you were 22 years old. You were a platoon leader. You had 32 men under you that you deployed. You were a helicopter. You were in the helicopters, I understand. I made a lot of uh, helicopter combat assaults. Uh, that was uh, what what my unit, the First Cavalry Division, that was air mobile concept. That was the idea. That air cab, correct? Air cab, right? Okay. Uh, the thirty-two is the high number. Usually, it was more like twenty-four, twenty-six, depending upon people getting sick, injured, being evacuated, etc. Right. Exactly. So I, I, my my question, my first question I, I wanted to ask because I didn't see anything in in your um, paperwork. Were did you enlist or or were you uh, recruited? Well, my my family was military, so I oh. pretty well had to serve my obligation as uh, as an officer. My grandfather went to West Point. My father went to West Point. My brother went to West Point. I turned down an appointment to West Point. I said no. Oh. I have had enough of the military, 13 <laughs> middle school, <laughs> elementary and middle schools, four high schools. I said, nah, but uh, it was the height of the Vietnam War. I went through the college's ROTC program and was commissioned as an officer. Well, that is a neat thing. And, you know, it's hard to believe 50 years ago, I mean, um, I had a number of friends that either didn't come back from Nam or did come back and they were okay. A lot of them came back, they were never okay. You know, it was a, it was a very, when, when I was younger, I remember it was a very hard time for this country. It was a very hard time for all of us, you know, to go through something that we went through that was very devastating, you know, emotionally, physically. And, and you went through it and you were young, 22, you were very young to, to be, you know, um, in charge of all these men, I'm sure you, you yourself, how did you feel at that moment in time being so young? Well, uh, I went through the Ranger training program and that was actually the best insurance program that I could have for uh, survival in Vietnam. It, it uh, toughened you up and really made you fearless and um, gave you a tremendous sense of confidence. Not a lot of experience, but uh, certainly a tremendous sense of confidence and uh, the smartest thing I did when I took over my platoon was to sit down with my squad leaders and platoon sergeant and say, okay, first of all, what happened to my predecessor? And then I'm, I, I made a point of saying, you, you guys are the ones that have the experience. Um, I'm the leader, but I want to listen to you. And, and, um, and I want you to know that uh, foremost in my mind is the, the security and welfare of my, of my platoon. Okay. I mean, I took recently because, you know, being a senior, um, I belong to a senior club in my own town. And nationally, there's a lot of veterans. Um, uh, and 
I do remember that, you know, um, and I'm going to ask you something that you wrote about being welcomed back into America. And I seem to remember <laughs> that um, the men coming back from Vietnam were not welcomed like like other soldiers from other wars. Did you have that feeling or? or? I, I had a little different experience because I was a regular army officer. And so I had orders to go on to another military assignment after oh. Vietnam. So, and, and my parents actually uh, picked me up and escorted, swift, swiftly got me out of the, uh, out of the area. And so I, I stayed within the military for another four years after Vietnam. And, and so I never really uh, interacted with a lot of the adverse uh, uh, things that, that went on in the United States, the protests and the, the, the experiences that many of the vets that I've talked with uh, have right. gone through. Yes, this one gentleman I was talking to a month ago um, told me, you know, he was um, an MP in Vietnam, but, you know, he they had them do some other things too. And he also was in, uh, every once in a while, would fly in one of the copters and help and what have you. But he said when he came back, it was hard for him to get a job. People were a little bit disrespectful to him. And, you know, he felt like, you know, I don't, don't you look at the fact that I, you know, I was working to save, you know, a lot of you people from harm or, you know, um, perpetual harm. And, but that's not how America looked at the vets when they came back. Okay. No, and, and you're right. And, and the vets um, suffered uh, because of uh, the Tet Offensive of 1968 kind of changed uh, Americans' uh, opinion of the war. We went right. from winning the war to, hey, wait a minute, I'm not quite so sure. And then you had the My Lai incident when all the, uh, the civilians were killed. And the, right. uh, the, the the general, the South Vietnamese uh, general, killed and uh, killed the um, Vietnamese Viet Cong soldier, supposedly um, executed him on the spot. And so all those dramatic moments, uh, uh, which were publicized very dramatically in the press, right. I think shifted the American opinion. And unfortunately. You know, the, the soldiers were following orders of their superiors. So but they were the ones who bore the brunt of uh, America's uh, uh, displeasure with the war. And um, uh, and many of them, you know, had some very, very difficult times when they came back. They did. And, you know, we didn't really even consider it. I mean, it was never really labeled. Um, or it was never really declared that it was a war, I, not to my knowledge. You know, and I know a lot of the vets had a lot of problems with like um, the different organizations like. Um, ooh, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the different veteran order organizations, you know, that VFW. That, and, and yeah, like they I remember veterans we, of foreign wars. We mm. used to go down the shore every year um, because my ex-husband's whole family was in World War Two. And so we go to the convention and there was one young guy who was in Vietnam and they wouldn't even talk to him, you know, but yet now they're welcomed into these organizations because a lot of the people from World War II are gone, you know, so they have yes. to keep their organization. So now all of a sudden they're welcoming them in into their organizations, which I'm happy. I'm very happy for that. And I'm happy that, you know, for their recognition 
you know, but I think it was very sad to have to, you know, being young and have to watch stuff like that was, was very sad for me and for a lot yeah. of other people too. And of course, younger men coming back from war have families to raise and, and, uh, uh, careers to build and whether they're in the service or whether they're in civilian life and, and they don't have time often don't have time for those organizations. So I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm the president of the New York, New Jersey chapter of the first CAV association. We have exactly the same problem. It's very difficult to get uh, Afghanistan and Iraqi uh, veterans to come to our meetings. Oh, really? Mm. Really? They don't want to come. Well, I think they're just too busy and there are too many other things, too many other demands so. on their times and, and their lives. I mean, if they I, just like me, I didn't join this organization until a few years ago. Okay. Uh, I had a family to raise, you know, I had kids and, and, right. and yeah. you know, I didn't have any spare time, especially on weekends. <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure you do, um, because I know um, the uncles, um, a few of them, they'd always be asked to go to schools or colleges or whatever. And speak to the kids about the war, you know, uh, and they always did that. And they were very happy to do that, you know, about World War Two. I'm talking about, you know, so uh, do you do speaking engagements on Vietnam and, and you know, uh, what you went through? And... I have I have done that. But it, but because of the uh, kind of the black label that's been plastered on the Vietnam War, a mm -hmm. lot of uh, educators and teachers are, are hesitant to bring veterans back especially if they have a, a negative connotation about the war, and many of them do. They, um, they yeah. want somebody to talk about, you know, more of the large, larger picture of the war as opposed to negative comments. They want to stay away from the, the political aspect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So let me ask you a question, Robin. Um, yeah. To be put in a situation, obviously growing up in a military family, you know, you're around it still not quite the same until you actually step foot in that theater and to be in that theater at that age and to be in charge had to be overwhelming to an extent to an extent but what you did after that you said you moved on uh after vietnam uh what did you do after that after i got out of the service no no no, no, no after, after after you were oh. yeah they, they, yeah, they well, said you got redeployed an officer typically serves six to seven months uh, in the field and then to a staff job. And my staff job was uh, the division historian because I had a background in literature and, and uh, I could write. So uh, our, our motto of this unit was, you fight it, we write it. And we, uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we, would, we would go out uh, at, directed by the G3, that's the division operations officer, uh, after a major contact and interview the soldiers who were still there and, and try to piece the battle back together again, draw maps, take pictures. And, and often our reports were the first, especially if it had been a contact at nighttime, our, our, um, our reports were the very first time that people began to understand a battle. Anyway, mm -hmm. toward the end of my uh, tour in Vietnam, I had not received orders. And so I talked my boss into a three-day trip to Saigon, uh, ostensibly to buy art supplies and to find out what my orders were. So on the third day, after enjoying two days of uh, a lot of touring and fun and, and fun and going to bars and such, uh, <laughs> I, I worked. I worked Which you my way. Never think of doing. No, 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 no. I worked all the time. 
um, I, I went to the MACV headquarters and worked my way in and actually went into a large gymnasium. And they, they had basketball hoops pulled up. And on the floor of this gymnasium were low trays of punch cards. That was the pr computer programming of the day, Fortran uh, computer wow. programming. Uh -huh. And each card was a soldier in Vietnam arranged alphabetically. So we went down the line, A to B to BA to BAR to Bartlett Peter, Bartlett John. Okay, here you are. You're going to Seattle, Washington. I said, oh, Fort Ord or Fort Lewis, Washington. And he said, no, this says Fort Wainwright. We, we actually, I said, wait a minute. I, I went to high school in Seattle. There's no Fort Wainwright in Seattle or even in the state of Washington. And we had to look it up in a directory. And Fort Wainwright is located <laughs> in Fairbanks, Alaska. Oh, <laughs> so you, you were part of F2. You were going, going Seattle. I, I got the West Coast. That's what I asked for. <laughs> Did they have a lot but, of igloos by that fort? <laughs> yeah, well, it was pretty chilly, I'll tell you. I went, I went there, fortunately, during the summertime. So it was only about, the, it, it got up to about 65 degrees occasionally. But oh, okay. I saw minus 20, minus 30, minus 40. Oh, it was cold. Jump, I know Vietnam, it's hot, hot as, yeah. as hell. It took a while for my blood to adjust, I'll tell you that. Yeah, sure it did. <laughs> and then they have, don't they have um, the the one time where it's it's day oh, for 24 oh, hours or something oh, like that? Yeah, it doesn't get dark or something. And and, and the reverse. It's dark all the time. It gets gets to be kind of a, a twilight a little bit, mm -hmm. ever and so slightly. People have light. a lot of psychological problems because of it. And, yeah. you know. You have to have curtains on your windows, blackout curtains during the summertime just to darken the room. Yeah. Wow. And you have to plug your car in at night or you if you don't, your car is dead. You had a I did hear heater, that. Yes. <laughs> battery heater, circulating water heater and dipstick heater. If you forgot, you you were in big trouble. You had to have your car towed and cost you a couple hundred bucks to have it thought out. So I guess you've never gone back on a cruise to Alaska. Uh, I, actually, I went to um, uh, Winnipeg and then on up to Churchill, Canada, which is the uh, uh, polar bear capital of the world. That's as close <laughs> as I came. Uh, that was to see the polar bears. That is hey, Robin, a... <laughs> let me ask you, have, have you ever, throughout the years, for any reason, ever gone back to the forest? To Vietnam? Yeah. I'd like to go. I'm, I'm associated with a group called um, um, uh, Peace Trees Vietnam. It's a nonprofit, and they're very focused on um, removing... Uh, ordinance from uh, various different parts of Vietnam, demining as they call it, taking the mm -hmm. okay. mines and ordinance out of uh, the ground, and then planting trees. So they offer oh, trips to nice. go back and become involved uh, in that activity. So that that's kind of a, one of my bucket list items I'd like to do. Yeah, that's a, that sounds. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. When better, I was better than just a tour. Yeah, when I when exactly. I was in Washington. I think for me, because of, of the friends that I lost in Vietnam, um, the wall for me was um, was kind of very um, intense. It was an intense thing. You know? It is an intense thing. It was yeah. for me as well. I, I, I've visited there many times, especially at night. 
Um, mm -hmm. and, and it always, the shape of it always reminded me of the military insignia, the, the chevron. Yeah. And then, especially at night, as you walk down that path, um, it gets cooler. And it reminds me of being in a foxhole at nighttime. Can't help that. And my, I have several men on the wall and I try to mm -hmm. right. visit them. Yes. I try to visit them. Mm -hmm. It is very daunting. I mean, I was just there a couple months ago with my wife and, and we, we got to see a lot that, you know, throughout the years I haven't gotten to see, but I, that's always one I always go back to. And when you just see the size of it and when you really put wrap, try to wrap your head around the amount of names that are on that wall. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. It's, um, yeah, it's very emotional. It's extremely there's, emotional. There's been know. a lot of controversy about it, but I, I personally think it's, it's a good, it's a good thing for, especially for Vietnam veterans. It's very, yes, it is. Yes. Yes. That, that they're acknowledged in that they've got some kind of acknowledgement that people can go, um, just like, you know, what they did in New York with 9-11, you know, people can go, they can say their prayers, they can leave things, they can. They can look at strangers. They can look at people that they know. And, you know, it makes you feel good inside. Even though there's a sadness, it makes you feel good inside that these people are recognized. Well, they have to be you know? remembered. Yes, and remembered, yes. They have to be remembered, you know. Yeah. Mind you of what, uh, you know, history has, you know, what's happened in history. It is history. It is. It, it really and is. Believe it so. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> well, now look what you did, Rob. You got her upset. Now her purple's going to drip out of her hair. <laughs> well, my uh, my platoon sergeant is uh, on the wall, and usually the platoon sergeant is the supposed to be the most experienced man in the platoon, usually with ten to fifteen years experience, and you really right. depend upon him to run to run the platoon. My platoon sergeant uh, was what they called an instant NCO. And he had gone through a six month training course and had been promoted to platoon sergeant at the end of that course. He had his 19th birthday in Vietnam. Oh, oh. So he and I had about the same level of experience, uh, just yeah. military experience. Yeah. 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 So and it was didn't like come back. babies. It was like they were, they were, they were just. Yeah, so I, babies you know i was the second oldest man in the platoon at 22 wow, wow. there was one was one man who was 24 and he was like an old fart right he was the <laughs> old man that's correct the elder at 24 <laughs> yeah the elder at 24 yeah no that's it's really it's insane it's yeah, insane. It was a young I man's war and they were all i i i'd say 90 percent of them were draftees as well yeah, a couple of regular army, but mostly draftees. Well, yeah, mostly everybody was, you know, when they got that dreaded letter, you know, it was um, people trying to, well, I, I, I don't agree with people that ran out of the country, but I can, I, you know, on the other hand, I can understand emotionally. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't accept it, but I understand it. Um, but I'm sure well, again, that, that, letter that period was, of time, 68. To 69 was the height of the war and there were more yeah. casualties during that period of time than yes. at any other time in the war there were more killed during that period of time than all of the rest of the, of the time in vietnam so that that helped to turn the tide and made a young man uh, very very nervous about the fact that uh, they wouldn't survive the the tour
-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's like, you know, I was kind of worried about that myself. Yeah, I'm sure you were. I'm sure you said it'd you're be insane if you didn't. I mean, you, you know, really? it's, it's, it's human nature. Um, you know, and you look what, throughout history. All when I came into my battalion, I met with the S1, who was the personnel officer. And he said to me, uh, well, I see that you, you have had some experience as the S1, as a battalion adjutant with the 82nd Airborne Division. And I said, yes, and I'd like that job, you know, when it's my time to come out of the field. And he says, well, we'll think about it if you survive. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> Where'd you want survival to hear? <laughs> rate, survival rate of platoon leaders yeah. was less than 90 days. Oh, whoa. But, yeah, but I guess, you know, the mentality of, of anybody going over there, knowing what, you know, what they would hear, what they would see. Anybody going over there uh, basically would have probably felt that way. Yeah, and families probably felt that way too, you know. For sure. And they were yep. sending their son off, you know, I'm probably never going to see him again, you know. And My brother that. preceded me in Vietnam. He was an artillery officer and he was severely wounded and came back and he, he completed his military career, but he, he never really recovered both uh, mentally and physically. It just affected him tremendously. Oh, yeah. No, I know a lot of people that, that you know, um, came back and, and even from Afghanistan and everything. I mean, sure. Uh, the, those military men, too, have gone through an awful lot and they suffered an awful lot and they come back here and they need a lot of help. They really do. And, and it's the same thing, you know, that with policemen and firefighters and yes. EMS, even uh, I guess emergency room physicians as well. You know, yes. they, they have to steel themselves against those kind of traumatic experiences. And you work with people that have the PTSD? You, no, not really. Uh, not really. No, I'm just simply saying that's that's what I had to do because, um, you know, I had to I had men who were killed. Mm -hmm. And um, when they were killed, it was my responsibility as the officer to uh, fill out what was called a death card, put down the coordinates where as close as possible where they died. And I would I would put that card on their boot with uh, one one of their dog tags. And uh, I have to go through their pockets, make sure there wasn't anything in the pockets that shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. uh, return any return any material back to the to the headquarters. My men didn't want to do that. I guess maybe it was superstition, but mm -hmm. I was the one who had to do it. And then mm -hmm. we didn't have body bags. We had um, ponchos. So we wrapped the men in ponchos. I wrapped the men in ponchos and, and you couldn't have the poncho flapping around when the helicopter came in to pick up the, the dead or the wounded. So I, I carried a ball of of twine with me and I would tie it off around the head and waist and feet so that the, the poncho wouldn't, wouldn't flop around. Oh, and then right. Yeah. when that was, that was a very hard thing to do. Very, very hard thing to do. Imagine. That was probably the not, hardest, yeah. hardest job in, in I my book. I could not imagine doing that. In my uh, book, I, the, I call that chapter my first worst day in Vietnam. That's when I had to do, Take care of the very first man who was KIA killed in action. Well, uh, Robin, talk, talk about your book. Well, it took me the better part of ten years to write it, 
And then I went out to a number of friends who, the military friends all said, oh, this is wonderful, go ahead and publish it. And then I had a couple of uh, women who uh, were good friends from the publishing field. And they said, oh, you only want to sell this to military types, right? And I said, no, I want this <laughs> to appeal to general readers too. And they said, well, you better put more emotion in it. You get personal feelings. It's not coming through. And you got to demilitarize it. Take all these abbreviations out. So I spent another two years oh, um, doing that. And, and I remembered that my mother had saved every letter that I wrote home. And and they oh. were in this great big envelope. And she, she left them in the envelopes. So they were all date stamped. Mm -hmm. And I put them in order. And I reread every letter. And then I reached in and I would grab snippets of my letters and put them into appropriate chapters. So you could read the story that I wrote, and then you could read what I wrote home about. Right. Oh, that's very interesting. Sometimes, sometimes they weren't timeline. quite the same story. Right. And the name of your book? Is Tell, Vietnam Tell Combat, Firefights, and Writing History. So that brings okay. in that second part that I was talking about earlier, the history part. Okay. So how do you feel? I mean, uh, Obviously, these days, PTSD is, is very well known and talked about, and, and it's everywhere. And obviously, back then, mental health was not dealt with a thought, you know, I yeah. mean, it, was, it wasn't even a factor. I mean, how do you feel about what you see these days as far as what the, the veterans uh, are getting as far as assistance or help? Or well, the VA is starting, the VA is starting to make some inroads there both in terms of PTSD and um, uh, toxic burning. Uh, and there was a lot more toxic burning in Afghanistan and Iraq than there was in Vietnam. The only mm -hmm. toxic burning we had in Vietnam was taking care of the latrine duty, where you poured uh, fuel oil into these, you, you cut a 55 gallon drum in half and that was underneath the, uh, the latrine. And you would pull it out and put a fresh can in and pour in uh, diesel fuel and burn it. So that and was the uh, job of the that was the job of the FNG, <laughs> the, the, F, the, the effing new guy. The effing yeah, new that's, guy. that's funny. Well, how big of a factor? I mean, you talk about toxins and, and what you dealt with, and and now was uh, Agent Orange. How big of a factor was that? I mean, obviously it's a serious factor, but how how widespread was it? It was it was serious and it was widespread. Um, my my division was forbidden to drink water from streams or even to purify water from streams because of Agent Orange poisoning. Um, mm -hmm. And I walked through a number of areas that were uh, defoliated. Uh, for the most part, however, um, our area of operation was either in the mountainous areas uh, near the Laotian border. Uh, which was a free fire zone, uh, or out in the open area near the Gulf of Tonkin, and okay. that was not a that was an open area. It didn't have any uh, foliage, and you couldn't defoliate the jungle. So, uh, for the most part, I avoided Agent Orange. Ah, oh, okay. Well, that was that was good of you. <laughs> that was very smart on your part. You're fortunate. You know, yeah, you're very fortunate. You know. Yeah, I think the soldiers who suffered the most were the ones who dispensed it. Uh, mm -hmm. And were in had to go through areas area of operations that were defoliated, and you could tell them immediately when when you reached one of those areas, it was like 
all the leaves had fallen off the trees. It was mm -hmm. it was like fall, you know. It was fall. There were no leaves yeah. on the trees, and everything was brown and dead. And mm -hmm. and the dust oh, wow. was the dust was all over the ground. It got all over your boots. You slept in it. I mean, if you if you parked in it, that's where you slept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fortunately, I only only really had that happen to me a couple of times. Okay. So when you got out of the service, what did you do then? You know, you spent another four years yep. freezing. You went from one extreme to the other. <laughs> My, um, well, I was only in Alaska two years, and then they shipped me down, back down to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, which was the infantry school. Oh, and I was I at a, Fort Benning. I had, and now called Fort Moore, by the way. Uh, they're okay. renaming it. And uh, I had a very uh, had a, a wonderful assignment uh, as an operations officer. And my group, I was with the leadership department, which is like the management department of a of a college. Our job, we were given a special assignment to develop a course of instruction, which was implemented army wide. And we brought in one officer and one NCO from every military unit in the world, and we trained the trainers with this a course of instruction called Leadership for Professionals. And so that kind of got me into the publishing field. Okay. Uh, we did a book of readings. We didn't have PowerPoint. We had overhead <laughs> transparencies, right? <clears throat> but um, that set me on the course of, uh, of being interested in publishing. And I went, ultimately, my civilian career, most of my civilian career was in publishing. In, in working with a number of different publishing companies, mostly in sales and marketing. That's a, that's a that's, vast yeah. difference from being in a helicopter. <laughs> yes, it was. But that's yes, a fantastic path that you took. Wow. I mean, this is only my personal curiosity. Um, kind of, in your lifetime, any movie that you've ever seen made in regards to Vietnam which one was your favorite, if you even had one? Or was there one that you viewed more realistic than anything else? Or was it all just sensationalized and not even close? Well, it, that's a very difficult question. I, I've seen them all, all, I guess. And um, you, you always pick apart the, the little things. Uh, you notice so many little things, whether what they're carrying, what they're wearing. Mm -hmm. And you... You know, if they had nice, clean uniforms, you immediately rejected it because <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> when, when I was in the field, I'd wear my the same clothes for four weeks at a time. You wouldn't get clean clothes. Oh, wow. And, and you would be dirty. Let me tell you, very, very dirty. Um, you know, I think Full Metal Jacket was was had a, had a high degree of uh, authenticity to it. Mm -hmm. um, even even to some extent, uh, Forrest Gump. Uh, one of one of the reviewers of my book is Dale Dye, who is uh, was a Marine captain, and his civilian career was uh, to work with a number of producers and directors. And he would take the cast on a two week trip into the boonies and really teach them how to be soldiers. And he worked on a okay. number of those uh, those Vietnam. He's got credits on a number of those Vietnam movies, and so. Uh, he so that he was helped, his major he goal. Coach them and and, and uh, try and give them a sense of what it was really like and and how people reacted. And... Exactly. Yeah. That's incredible. Full Metal Jack. You know, I did. You know, I, what I thought was I watched it, but I don't remember it. The the uh, boot camp aspect of it and the mental. Well, there were 
that was no, Marines. No. That was Marines. So it was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. A lot depended upon where you got your training and uh, what type of training it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, my training was, you know, the, uh, airborne training, which was paratrooper training, and then followed by infantry officer basic training. And I went through with the graduating West Point class from that went infantry. So they were very, very gung-ho. And the ROTC guys were kind of ostracized. The, the ring knockers, as we called them, uh, <laughs> took, care, took care of themselves. <laughs> well, they all, they all had that big ring on their, show, on their hands. So, But um, ra- as I mentioned before, Ranger School was the insurance policy for Vietnam. And it treated everyone the same. It it uh, it tested you to the point of of total exhaustion. They they made you go to the point of total exhaustion and hunger because you got one meal a day. That was it. Mm-hmm. I lost about twenty five pounds I was say, in, in Ranger School. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you reached that point, that's when you became the leader. When you were totally exhausted and hungry, and if you made your objective, you got the next meal if you failed to get to your objective you didn't eat so like a puppy you were food driven <laughs> <laughs> sit for your treat but hey listen when well, you're in that situation and you're hungry obviously that's serious yeah. there was a lot of motivation a lot of the seal training you know a lot of motivation level they put the seals through oh yeah of exhaustion and sleep deprivation well i i would say i would not give a nod to uh, my SEAL brothers that that training is the most arduous training there is available in the military. I'm there sure is no that, more. I'm sure that no more challenging. You can say Green Berets and Rangers and all the rest of it. SEAL training is the hardest. Yeah, it looks it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I we actually had you... we had a couple of SEALs go through the Ranger course with us, and, mm-hmm. and it was a piece of cake for them. In terms of, of the physical, in terms of the physical part, it was yeah. a piece of cake, and we we depended on them because they were so strong. Often we would we would start lagging behind, and they'd pick our rifles up. I have short legs, so on the the forced marches, I would find it very hard to keep up. And this one seal said, "Here, grab onto my pack frame," and he literally hauled me along and wow. kept me up. I oh wow! Behind. Yeah, he was that That's strong. That's yeah. amazing. And when we, whenever we, of course, we ran everywhere and we would start at five o'clock in the morning with a five mile run and it would rain and there'd be puddles. And whenever these two seals saw puddles or water, or if we ran past a stream, they'd go, They'd make the sound of a seal, you know, that sound. (laughs) And the the drill sergeants got, they made us go jump in the puddles. Everyone had to go jump in the puddles. So we, we, we told them to cool it on the, on the seal sounds. (laughs) That's funny. That's really funny. You never hear that sound again the best of your life. Always back to that moment. Never forget it. Yeah. Oh God, that's really funny. Wow. So now what are you doing with yourself that you've written your book and, you know, um, you, you're part of different organizations? You know, it, it, people think that writing the book is the hard part. It is not. The no, hard you're right. Part it's is, not. Uh, it's, it's, it's marketing and promoting the book. And um, 
I've been very, very fortunate to, uh, I, I just got notice that I'm going to be interviewed by my local uh, newspaper, uh, the oh, Bergen good. Record, and they're owned by USA Today. So I've got my fingers crossed that there's a possibility there that it could be an even larger exposure. I've been on Great. a number of um, military podcasts. The, the, the most popular one is called um, Echoes of the Vietnam War. And okay. has a very large circulation, and uh, so I'm 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 working my book, and and I've got a very uh, um, robust website where people can visit, and I've developed a couple of nice little short five minute videos that they can watch on various different aspects of uh, firefights and helicopter combat assaults, and so I've got let, my reviews let, up. Let the audience know what that website is www.robinbartlettauthor.com okay. robinbartlettauthor.com robinbartlettauthor.com yes. that's right if you just google robin bartlett it'll come up cuz it'll I'm, come uh, up people mm -hmm. yeah, people are working it working it and they can get a they can get a they can get an autograph copy uh, with free shipping so i'm i'm actually undercutting amazon you get a better deal from me than you get from amazon there you, uh, go. There you go that's wonderful <laughs> Okay. Well, I well, wanted well, to make the book accessible to vets if they wanted yeah. a copy. Well, I, I think that's very important. And all of the listeners, you know, we, uh, I'll let you know when the show airs and, you know, you can send it out, you know, or, or advise a lot of people and they can come and see you on our show. And, but our time is, is, is come to an end. Okay. And uh, I so appreciate you making the time again. This is funny minds. And, uh, we, we interviewed Robin Bartlett today, who was a wonderful man and is alive, and, thank God, and went through Vietnam and uh, brought back a lot of memories for us to talk about. And uh, please, please look up, please look up his book and please buy his book because anybody who is younger really needs to understand what Vietnam was all about and what, what the um, military went through that was over there. So I would highly advise anybody watching our show to really buy the book, understand it, and uh, and send and send little things to Robert because he's yes, going to love please. to hear from you, Robin. I'm sorry, <laughs> he's going to love to hear from you. And it's not all combat. I've got some funny things in there that happened too. So it's it's a balanced. Uh, presentation too okay, i have so a, a, a number comedic. of yeah, yeah there's some, some funny some, things some personal there. stories and and, and fun yep. moments and, okay all right that's good that sounds good, that's good i had a number really of is. kind of unusual things that happened to me and each one of those stories has become a chapter in the book so i, I Again, think it, robin I, I thank i thank you for being on i thank you for your service i thank you for being with us today and um i think i'll leave our you listeners... with one leave you with one last thing and that is okay. uh, Vietnam veterans uh, are, are starting to walk in the boots of uh, their Korean brothers and Vietnam II, the World War II veterans. Right. And if you really want to have an impact on Vietnam veterans, uh, try practicing the words welcome home. As There's yes. nothing wrong with thank you for your service. Yes. But if you say welcome home to a Vietnam vet, you will, you will be amazed at the reaction. Okay, I will remember that. I will definitely remember that. Those are good words. Thank you so much for saying Thank that. you. Thanks for and, having me. Uh, thank you, Robin. Thank everybody for being with us today. 
And if you go on funnyminds.com, um, you can see our website and see we have a store. We sell silly things that say funny minds. Also, there are two organizations that we're very um, involved with, and that's Women's Breast Cancer and St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So there's a big purple button there, and we'd appreciate it if people would donate to those two organizations. They're very, very important to us, and they're very important to a lot of people in, in this country. And I thank all of you for being with us and love you. And don't forget to be happy, be safe, smile. But always remember that laughter is the best medicine. So with that, it I'm going to say goodbye. And thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Robin. Thank you. Thank you for and having me. And take care, Robin.